This episode is brought to you by Odyssey Mushroom Elixir. Odyssey contains 2,750 milligrams of lion's mane and cordyceps functional mushrooms that have been shown to increase brain function, mood, memory, and boost energy. With Odyssey Mushroom Elixir, there's no need to settle for a drink that's full of chemicals and empty calories. The flavors are delicious. There are caffeinated and uncaffeinated options, and I love to use it as a mocktail at parties, as an afternoon pick-me-up, and while I love all the flavors, my favorite is the sparkling dragon fruit lemonade. If you want to try Odyssey Mushroom Elixir, you can take 20% off your purchase today with code CWPODCAST, all one word, at odysseyelixir.com. And all of that information can be found in our show notes or on our link tree on Instagram. Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. We have a great episode, perfect for January today with Dr. Brooke Scheller, and um, she's back on the show. She was on, gosh, over a year ago, and we're excited to have this part two with her all about um, functional sobriety and changing relationship with alcohol, and she has a new book coming out. So we're going to get to her formal intro in just a minute, but before we do, we're going to do our usual weekly updates, and um you know, in, in light of this episode coming out, I've been thinking about sort of my own relationship with drinking since Dr. Brooks first episode, which was, um, really exactly a year ago too. Yeah. I think so. Since we released. And I know Erica shared a lot about her journey on the podcast with, um, you know, quitting and taking breaks and just, it's what's so cool about this sort of topic is that, um, if you're not dealing with addiction, just the ability to examine, um, our relationship with alcohol from like a social aspect to, or habitual and Dr. Brooke gets into all of this stuff, but, um, I've really done that over the last year and I've pretty much stopped drinking. I, I do on occasion have one, um, I would say on average that maybe is once a month, if that has sort of been the rhythm for me, 
But what was interesting was recently, a few weeks ago, Erica and I got together and we decided to have one sort of end of the year cocktail. And I did enjoy it. Like I was very consciously making that choice when I um, did, when I made it. (laughs) But uh, what was so interesting was like after the fact, even though it was only one, there's like effects of having a drink that when you don't drink for a long time, you really feel in a different way. And it's so it's not just like the effects of like the drinking, it's what happens and like the ripple effects, I feel like. Like for example, sleep. Like for me, I notice a difference in sleep, even if I just had one. And then what happens because I don't sleep well the next day? It's like, you know what I mean? It's like multiple levels. So it's not just like, oh, how do you feel after the drink? Like it was fine. One drink, no big deal. But it was sort of like, oh, but I did feel like my sleep was a little off or my energy was like lower for the rest of the day. Um, Those kinds of things. And then that sort of ripple effects into like the work that I was doing that day or like the plans that I had the next day in the way that I show up for it. So that was just like an interesting observation for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're going to link in our show notes, Dr. Brooks first episode on the show. I will link. Um, I did take a year off from drinking, um, I think in 2021 to 2022, something. Yeah, I think so. 22. Yeah. I don't know. It all blurs well, together. It, it all blurs time, but it, it was it wasn't too long ago. I took a full year. I think off you took drinking. off 2022 because I then I sort of took off 2023. Yeah. So I did a full year and we recorded an episode all about it. That will be in the show notes. And it's been an evolution, I think, since then, because again, like you're saying, Allie, when you don't drink, you feel incredible. Everything is better. (laughs) Your skin, your sleep, your uh, cravings, nutrition, all of it. It's just... um, you know, and, and alcohol is a neurotoxin, which we talk about in this episode. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are, you know, they might be sober, sober, curious, even doing a dry January. And after that year, um, I, (laughs) I, 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 I didn't have a good experience with drinking. So I stopped drinking again, because I just didn't feel great. And yeah, ever since then, it's been, it's not a common occurrence for me. And I feel it like you're saying, it's like, even if you decide, okay, I'm going to have that one drink. It's almost like what, what is the point or the purpose? Because I think feeling good and and taking care of ourselves is just so, um, it's really high on my priority list. And <laughs> it's, it's hard to, it's, uh, it's hard to not feel good. I think that's, that's really what you learn through sober curiosity and through these kind of Um, explorations with self and what's really cool, which we'll talk about, but in Dr. Brooks book, she has uh, archetypes about different Mm -hmm. types of drinkers. And so I find that to be really interesting. So we'll get to that in a second too. And, and I find that if you are sober curious um, or even sober, I think Quitlet is actually really helpful. And I mentioned this in the episode as well, but you know, when I took a year off from drinking. I did it totally by myself. I wasn't involved in any sober, curious communities. I wasn't um, reading any Quitlet and it just wasn't as fun. And then after, you know, I decided to like, I I didn't want to drink as much, you know, and that kind of, I was like, okay, well, I did this year. What do I want my relationship with alcohol to be? That's when I started diving more Mm -hmm. into 
quitlet. quitlet. Yeah. And I found it to be really, really helpful because I'm air dominant. I'm all airy. If you're into astrology, like I am, I know most of our listeners um, know that I'm into astrology, but I feel like as an airy person, I really like information. And the more information I have, the more solid I feel in my decisions, what I'm doing. It's kind of like learning about gut health, changed my relationship with food and nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um, Reading these quit lit books really helped be like, why do I why would I want to ingest a neurotoxin, you know, or if I do, I know I'm ingesting a neurotoxin. So it's, um, I think education is really important. And I think these conversations are really important. And I think this is a really, really good episode. We have a really in-depth conversation. And so, um, I'm I'm really excited about it. And I'm excited to kick off our year uh, with the episode because last week we did not have an interview. We did a coaching episode all about the parasympathetic nervous system and getting into rest and digest and really supporting ourselves um, because stress, stress is so bad for our bodies as we know. So check out that episode if you haven't yet, but I'm excited that our first interview of 2024 is with Dr. Brooke today. Yes, definitely check out that episode. And um, anyway, I, yeah, I think just to kind of sum up, put a little bow on the, the, uh, booze conversation before we get into the real interview about it. Um, it's not, and I think maybe we touched on this in the episode. I think it's not about like shame, just like any other sort of wellness practice. You have to like figure out what works for you and, um, and try to create consciousness around our choices. So, but I was going to also just bring up, I think a lot of this has shifted for me as I'm getting older. Like, Mm. I don't know that I would have been here 10 years ago because it didn't have the same effect on my body 10 years ago. But the reality is like, I'm in my late thirties. I will be, so we're in January. I will be 38 this year. And I don't feel the same way I felt at 28. And so I have to do a little bit more to support myself and a little bit more to support my hormones, to feel optimal. And, um, I think that's part of the reason that I've kind of gone down this exploration with alcohol too. So I think, you know, at different stages of life, we need different things. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to say that, you know, it's not about shaming into not drinking or drinking or anything like that. It's just about overall consciously making choices that we know are, more aligned for our personal like bio individuality too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great point. Anyway, let's get to Dr. Brooke. Yes, let's do it. So today on the podcast, we welcome back Dr. Brooke Scheller to the show. Dr. Brooke is a doctor of clinical nutrition, a nationally recognized health expert, and the founder of Functional Sobriety, a nutrition-based program for alcohol reduction. After finding freedom from alcohol in 2021, Dr. Brooke took her experience in sobriety and applied her expertise in nutrition and functional medicine to help others change their relationship with alcohol. After working with executives, celebrities, and other successful clients, she recognized a glaring gap in the wellness space over consumption of alcohol. You can listen to her first appearance on the podcast from last year in our show notes, where we discuss sober nutrition and functional sobriety. She is back today to discuss her new book, how to eat 
to change how you drink. This is a first of its kind guide to leverage food and nutrition to reduce or eliminate alcohol consumption, develop mindfulness, and promote a healthier relationship with alcohol. Dr. Brooks' revolutionary approach to sobriety, coined as functional sobriety, focuses on using functional medicine and functional nutrition to get at the core and the causes of drinking habits. Working through the book, readers will also be able to identify their drinking archetype. These are categories that Dr. Brooke developed so that people can understand their drinking behaviors and the science behind them, which we actually break down in the episode. We also have an in-depth conversation on her journey, dry January, sober curiosity, and the sober curious community. We hope you enjoy the episode. So welcome, Dr. Brooke. We are so excited to have you back on the podcast. And of course, we will have linked in our show notes your first episode of the podcast from last December. Uh, But for anybody who hasn't listened to that episode or is new to your work or is just interested in the Sober Curious movement or changing their relationship with alcohol, can we start off by talking about your own personal journey to sobriety, to the sober curious space. How did you get here? Mm, Well, first of all, thank you both for having me back on. I'm so excited to be here. Like we're like high school friends when we get on here and we're all like giddy and excited to chat again. So I'm, I'm so excited to be back here and thanks for having me back on the podcast. When we spoke last year, I was still writing my book and it was one of those like, yeah, one day this book is going to come out and that day is here. And, um, and it's been a wild journey and really, really exciting. And sobriety is one of those topics that we are in a world today where this is just, it's becoming kind of the norm to, for people to be exploring sober curiosity, to be cutting back on alcohol, to be saying no to drinking more often five years ago, this, none of this conversation was happening, right? If you wanted to get sober, you wanted to consider quitting drinking. This was a go, go to AA kind of, you know, uh, option. That was kind of your only option. And today there are so many opportunities to not drink. Like we were talking about before we got on, there's mocktails at every restaurant. There's, you know, lots of non-alcoholic beverages. There's just more acceptance. And especially as we see things like dry January and sober October, it's like, it is cool to quit drinking or to cut back on alcohol. And that's really exciting for me. I was not someone who just came into this though, saying, let me be sober curious. I was someone who drank heavily from my teenage years and continued that into my twenties and early thirties and always found the people who would be willing to go out with me and willing to go out for drinks. But I was also a health expert. And so as a doctor of nutrition, you can imagine I felt like at times I was living a double life because I was preaching health and wanting to be healthy. And at the same time, really struggling with alcohol. And I was just chatting with someone about this yesterday. Like I didn't know any other way of coping. And I think that's what is common across the board with, with most of us, excuse me, with most of us who drink heavily or pretty frequently is that we're used to it, you know, helping us in social settings. We're used to having that as a tool to connect with coworkers, to make friends, to deal with stress, to deal with breakups, to deal with 
loss. And if we go through life having alcohol as our core means of of coping, we don't even think that there's anything necessarily wrong with it or or bad about it. We just assume this is kind of like it this is how it how it works. And for me, I used alcohol as a coping mechanism for a long time, never really knew how, how much it was really deeply affecting my, my body and my mental health. And in, in the final years of my drinking, um, I always, you know, talk about the pandemic because I got sober in 2021. And I do really think that the pandemic probably turned up the heat at like, I had a, I like to liken this to like a pot on the stove. And I probably had this simmering unhealthy relationship with alcohol for a very long time, but the isolation and the stress of the pandemic kind of caused me to crank up the heat on that. And now the pot's boiling over. So it became something that I couldn't really avoid or ignore anymore. And it was something that I, I got to the point where I, I was done and I didn't get a DUI. I didn't lose a job. I didn't have you know, all of the necessarily, you know, classic things that you might associate with an alcoholic, but I had a ton of anxiety. I was experiencing a lot of depression, low mood. I did not feel well and I didn't feel well for years. And it wasn't until that point in the spring of 2021 that I made this decision to quit drinking and, and it is transformed my life in, in so many ways. And part of that transformation was, was this book and coming to this realization that there's not enough conversation in the sober space today, but also in the wellness space around alcohol and this intersection of the two. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, in the beginning, and this is, so many people can relate to this sentiment of like, you think your life is over when you first quit drinking or when you cut back because you can't see any other way. And truly, truly, it is just the beginning. It is just the beginning. And I can say this from my own experience, but also working with clients all around the world that I see that transformation happen all the time. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing this and this part of your story too. And, you know, like the vulnerability that goes along with that. Um, it, it's, it is interesting, you know, this idea of it's just the beginning because from my own personal experience, having drastically reduced alcohol in the last year, almost, almost entirely. Um, and it also, this idea of like your life, just, it's just the beginning. It, what I what's so interesting, my observation in this past year is that it's been, I just feel good mm-hmm. in a way that even someone who didn't overly use alcohol, I, I wasn't recognizing how poorly I felt after using it when I did choose to use it. And so when you have that distance and perspective and you start to feel good, it's almost like a new level of like, chasing a good feeling that's more permanent than the good feeling that like the night of drinking gives you. It isn't just a conversation now about like sobriety and people getting sober because they have a problem. Mm -hmm. This is about, this is a toxic substance Mm -hmm. that has health effects that span 
from short-term to long-term, that increased risk of cancer, that increased risk of mental health disorders, that increase our anxiety, our depression, they zap our energy, it affects our hormones, our cortisol levels. There's so many ways that alcohol affects us. And you don't have to be drinking every single day in order to have those effects. So I just posted about this on Instagram the other day because I was part of a conversation with the European um, unit of the World Health Organization. And they were talking about all of these these known studied health effects of alcohol. And, and that it's not just, this isn't just a conversation for people who have a problem. This is a global conversation about this is a substance that is causing early death. This is yeah. a substance that is affecting the quality and the quantity of our lives. And not everybody thinks of this, but really we liken this to tobacco. Like this is, this is another wave of a, of a health epidemic like tobacco in that, you know, and we look at the comparison of how far we've come with tobacco. I mean, there used to be advertisements like doctors smoke camels. Could you imagine <laughs> a, a magazine advertisement of me sitting there with a glass of red wine saying doctors drink red wine, Yeah, right? Like mm -hmm. basically that's, that is like what we're doing because we are advertising it in this very popular way. You see it on TV, you see it, you know, every, everywhere we go. And it's, it is, um, encouraged, uh, behavior. It's encouraged that you're drinking. In fact, if you're not drinking, you're usually the weird one yeah. or you're the odd man out by not drinking. And we've created this culture that has, really become saturated, no, no pun intended, with alcohol. And we've stigmatized anyone who wants to stop. Hmm. And we basically are now look at these people of wanting to stop as saying you have a problem. And one of the things that I talk about in the book, it was really important for me to include a lot of the biochemistry of what alcohol is doing to the body. Because this isn't just about, again, one person being more likely to have a problem than another, alcohol is an addictive substance. What it does in our body is addictive. So this, this can happen to anyone if you continue to put alcohol into your system. So it's not just reserved for a segment of the population. This is a broader conversation that is relevant for everyone. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and I think that's, that's the thing because you know, for years, it's so interesting, the intersection of alcohol and wellness as well, right? Like all the green juice and all the mm -hmm. expensive workout classes and the hikes. And then it would be like rosé all day and drinking martinis. And, and there's, you know, there was a time when people would talk about like, well, wine has polyphenols or this, that, and the other health benefits. And yeah, wine might have polyphenols, but the negative effects of drinking that wine outweigh any of the polyphenols you're going to get from that glass. And we spoke about it a little off recording too. And we might've mentioned it last year in the episode then, but uh, the Canadian government, right, came out with one of the, 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 the most, um, like, I think honest <laughs> ways of being like anything more than two glasses of alcohol a week impact your health negatively. And so I think the conversation is changing where, again, it's not to yuck anyone's yums. If someone wants to choose to have a glass of alcohol or a glass of alcohol, I sound so old, but like <laughs> a glass of wine or, um, you know, a cocktail, that's their choice. But I think knowing what you're doing, knowing that it's a neurotoxin, right? Like 
I, I think these are important things so that people can make educated choices. And something else I find interesting is um, I'm kind of an astrology girl. I love astrology. And it's interesting because um, since 2023, uh, Pisces, Saturn has been in Pisces. And the last time Saturn was in Pisces is actually when AA was created. And so it's a really interesting interesting. because Pisces rules 12th house themes, which is the subconscious things that, you know, go on kind of under the, the rug of society and our emotions, but Pisces also rules addiction. So it's really interesting. And Saturn is the planet of hard work and transformation. And so it's interesting because Saturn will be in Pisces until 2026. And we really see this trending and changing. And so many people I know are really reevaluating and changing their relationships with alcohol, like never, um, before, but, And I'm so like, when I get interested in a topic, my own sober curious journey, and I stopped drinking for a year, and I really, uh, like changed my relationship with alcohol and drinking. And, um, but I like to get all the information I can, which is why I'm so excited about your book. So I've read quit lit, like, um, quit like a woman. I've read drinking Mm -hmm. games. I'm reading all of these books to get all of this information, because for me, it helps me again, make these choices because I don't want to ingest a neurotoxin. But I digress because I do have a question here. And um, you mentioned, and I think probably what a lot of people are experiencing if they are doing dry January or they want to change their relationship with alcohol, you mentioned how it is, I think, one of the most popular and common coping mechanisms, right, that we use um, when we're stressed, when we're feeling heightened emotions when we're sad, when we're happy, right? Like we just, we use alcohol so much to cope with anxieties and emotions. So when we stop drinking, we have to deal with those emotions, right? And I think that's why Mm -hmm. January can be a challenging time for a lot of people. So I don't know if you have any um, words of advice or anything that you would recommend or what helped you when you started this journey and had to really deal with those emotions that were coming up? Yeah, this is why community is really important. You know, my, the crux of my book is nutrition and food. And, and you bring up a great point in that reading more quitlet, getting integrated in these resources is really helpful because it's going to just change your perspective on some of these things, right? So for example, I read Quit Like a Woman within my first week of quitting drinking. That was one of the books that that really helped me early in my journey. And just by reading a few pages or a couple of chapters each day, it really helped keep my mind in that frame. There are so many podcasts that talk specifically about alcohol reduction or alcohol elimination. Um, but also community is a really important piece of this too, which is part of why I launched my online community, which is called the Functional Sobriety Network, which is um, a sober, sober, curious community that is all focused on wellness and nutrition. And so, you know, there's a lot of different communities now. AA is one of them. There's other that others that are, you know, also a little bit softer touch in terms of being more sober curious or exploratory. So 
you don't have to go to AA. That used to be the only main kind of community that people would have. But finding other people that you can connect with that have a similar interest that very, very likely have shared experiences. So one of the great things that I love in my community is, is the women come together and they say, I've really struggled with X and someone else will say, wow, I felt that way too. And I didn't know someone else. Like I thought that was just me. Right. And so we start to learn and grow from those experiences because we find identification. We realize that we're not alone, but then we also get inspired by other people's stories. So, you know, when I have women come into my group and they've maybe explored quitting or cutting back and they haven't necessarily been successful when they're around other women who have six months or two months or 30 days, they start to go, well, maybe I can do this. Right. And it's so beautiful to see people like help each other through this process and, and really support each other because it's not, we thrive in community, especially women. We really thrive in community. And, um, and I believe that dry Januaries and all of these challenges, um, it's hard to do these things alone and just be like trying to claw through them. So surround yourself with some resources, get some books, get how to eat to change how you drink. This is the greatest book that it ever was. Um, it is a quitlet book, but also a health book. So it's got really both pieces in there. Um, and then find yourself a community, surround yourself with people who have similar interests. Great advice. And speaking of your book, can you also go into, I would love to, because I, I think as Eric was saying, the education behind it, the more information we have, the more I think it empowering it is to make these decisions for ourselves. So can you touch on a little bit about the nutrition from a nutrient perspective, how, how food can help us support, um, reducing or eliminating alcohol we want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about BTR Nation. BTR is a female-founded food brand that is on a mission to end mindless snacking with their protein bars with a purpose. BTR bars and chocolate truffle cups are plant-based and made with no gluten, no dairy, no soy, no added sugar, no corn or rice syrups, no GMOs, no natural flavors, no sugar alcohols, no stevia, no inflammatory ingredients, and no gums or fillers. It's the cleanest label in the category. They only use ingredients that you can pronounce and adaptogenic superfoods like reishi, lion's mane, and cordyceps. Allie and I love BTR bars and always have them in our cabinets. I am currently loving the cinnamon cookie dough energy bars and the cherry dark chocolate truffle cups are my favorite sweet treat. Founder and owner Ashley Marie found inspiration for her brand in an unlikely place at an unlikely time at the hospital cafeteria. When both of her parents were diagnosed with cancer, her life turned upside down as she became their caretaker and her own nutrition began to suffer. Ashley was devouring protein bars when she could, as many of us do, to fit in a meal or a snack. Most of the bars she quickly discovered were filled with sugar. After her parents passed away, she founded her bar brand based on their family mantra, be bold, tenacious, and resilient, BTR. If you want to try BTR bars and truffle cups, you can save 20% on your order with code COURAGEOUSWELLNESS at btrnation.com. You can also find this link in our show notes and link tree on Instagram. 
Yeah, well, Ali, you bring up a good point because a big a big intention that I had with this book was education. So the first part, there's three parts of the book. The first one kind of touches on an overview. I get into sharing my story. So speaking of vulnerability, I tell really the the entirety of my story from from early drinking days to the end of days. Um, and then also the the third chapter in the book is what I call my three drinking archetypes. And these were really important to me because you know, my experience is maybe on the more extreme end that by the time I had quit drinking, I was drinking five, six, seven days a week. Um, but I also work with a lot of women who don't drink every day and still want to quit. And maybe they drink a couple of times a, me- a month or once or twice a week, but they still overdo it when they drink and they still want to change that behavior. So in in the third chapter, I share about my drinking archetypes, which kind of there's a quiz. Everyone loves a good quiz from the Cosmo days, right? Um, That helps you identify your drinking archetype so that the remainder of the principles throughout the book, you can kind of match with your drinking archetype. The second part of the book is all of the science. So I talk about how alcohol affects the gut, how alcohol affects our brain, contributes to nutrient deficiencies, how it affects cortisol and our hormones and our blood sugar. So I get into the science, but in a very approachable way so that exactly to that point, we can um, have the education piece in there so that you can really learn and understand the impacts and the effects that alcohol is having on your body. Because I do really think that that changes how we, um, how compliant we can be with this, right? Like it, it helps us understand the impacts of that it's really having. And then the third part of the book is, um, is a guide. So it is your guide to implementing nutrition as, as a tool for your sober, sober curious journey, how to incorporate things like protein, which are a really big kind of key piece in my work, because protein can help us with alcohol cravings and also sugar cravings, which come when we cut back alcohol. Um, There's also a chapter on supplements and lifestyle changes. And then what most people don't know, because it doesn't say it anywhere on the book, but there are 50 recipes in the back. So there are recipes that integrate and incorporate all of those principles, 40 food recipes and 10 drink recipes. So yeah, it's, it's very comprehensive, but it, um, it was important to me to cover all these different aspects because the education piece is so key. And I really believe I know for me and for a lot of the women and men that I work with, that education piece has been what has been, um, what has shifted the needle for them. Absolutely. Yeah. It it shifted the needle for me in a, in a big, big, big way. And I'm curious, can you share what those three drinking archetypes are? Yeah. So this has been such an interesting discussion because when I wrote the book, it was part of it, but almost every podcast interview I've done, like people are really interested in these drinking archetypes. So there are three drinking archetypes that I speak about. There's a fourth that is kind of like someone who can have half a glass of wine, put it down, walk away. So we don't talk about that one too much. Um, but the three core drinking archetypes are uh, the social drinker, the stress drinker, and the habitual drinker. So the social drinker, again, is someone who maybe drinks a couple of times a month, maybe once, twice, three times a week. They don't drink every single day. They don't feel any strong desires in between to drink. But when they drink and they start, 
they find that they can't necessarily stop or they get carried away and they don't necessarily want to continue on that behavior. The stress drinker is exactly like it sounds. Uh, These are people who drink based on mostly stress, right? So maybe that's work stress, family stress, relationship stress, but stress tends to be the main mechanism whether coping or otherwise, that they choose to drink. So a a stress drinker might drink maybe a little bit more frequently. Maybe they're drinking, you know, after work a couple days of the week, they're drinking on the weekends. Um, And then the third drinking archetype is the habitual drinker. So this is someone who has a little bit more of a dependency or that dependency is starting to kick in. They're drinking most or all days of the week and more than one drink a day. So it's it's just a way to kind of help people feel like they fit a little bit. And one of the challenges that I've had with Quitlet books, not personally, because I, I was a pretty heavy drinker in the end, but they're, most of them are written from the perspective of people who were heavy drinkers. And so if you're someone who is a social drinker a couple times a week, a couple times a month, but still want to quit, you might read that. And I know this because we have book clubs in my in my community and the social drinkers or the stress drinkers are like, I don't identify with this, you know, every single day drinking. So, you know, a lot of times people look at that and they go, do I really need to quit? I don't know. Like, and so it it's it's important to speak to these other categories of people because they are still there and they do still want information on alcohol and and the benefits of quitting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's good. This idea of like, there's a place to sort of see yourself or fit in, even if you don't identify as someone who maybe is an addict, um, which Mm -hmm. like, as you said, even 10 years ago, that's or five years ago, that was really the only space. It's like you either struggle with alcoholism or nothing or not, but, but, Mm -hmm. but this allows to kind of, this allows us to, um, look at patterns of our own behavior and kind of say, oh, well, maybe this is sort of how I, when I go to it, this is kind of the place I come from. Um, because as someone, I was probably like in that fourth category actually, but even, or that fourth archetype that you didn't include, but even that I, I I try to observe when I chose to, and I still do that if I cho- if I choose to. But like having an awareness of why you go to it, even if you go to it for a half a glass once in a while, um, just building that awareness. It's like, yeah, no, I know I don't have a problem, but but if if I'm choosing to consume a neurotoxic substance, then like just even being able to observe the why around it. Um, mm-hmm. I have a question for you though, because there's so much, this is something I've run into a little bit. There's so much information out there now that's been empowering as far as like my own relationship with when I choose to drink, if at all. And now that I have sort of this like fresher data, all the stuff is coming out, all these new studies we were talking about, the science behind it all, and that's changing. How would you recommend when people have changed their own relationship with alcohol, but still see loved ones using it in different ways. And how can we support people? Obviously Mm. we can't do the work for them, but once your, your mind starts to change your education level on it changes, it can be hard to see the world around you 
using it in, in the old ways. And so do you have any advice that you would give for people in this sort of sober, curious movement and community, how to support those around them who might not quite be there yet? Yeah, that's such a great question. We talk about this a lot in my group because especially those of us who are heavy drinkers, we surrounded ourselves with other people who drank like us, right? So oftentimes that means our friends are maybe heavy drinkers, our partner might be a heavy drinker, our family members might be drinkers. Um, you know, even dynamics with coworkers, if you previously would go out and drink with coworkers and now you know, when, when one person changes the dynamic or when one person decides they're going to cut back or quit, it can be really stressful because we have these social circles that are, that are founded based on that. Right. And especially in partnership, you know, uh, uh, oftentimes it is not always common that both partners are choosing that at the same time. So usually there's a little bit of a disconnect and I see this a lot with our group and, you know, it's, it's all the best that we can do is lead by example. So, you know, us choosing to explore this kind of new way of life is, is, is for us, right? It is a decision that we make for us. No one can make for us, but we also can't make for other people. And we, this is where the community piece comes in and starting to surround ourselves with a community that is like-minded to the goals that we have or the place that we want to be. But we, the changes that we make radiate outward. Like we don't always see that, but it it is happening. And I obviously have a a public platform that talks about my sobriety, but I receive messages all the time from friends, family, loved ones, people that I would never expect starting to question or change the way that they drink and saying, Hey, this has had a really big impact on me. And I didn't directly say to them, Hey, you should quit drinking, you know, X, Y, Z they're seeing it. And they're saying, you know, if this person can change their behaviors, maybe I can change my behaviors or maybe, maybe it's time for me to change too. So I think that it's important to keep the focus on ourselves and, and focus on what it is that we need and what we're doing and allow that kind of ripple effect to happen. Quitlet and these other types of resources are also really good. If you know someone who is maybe struggling or, um, you know, think might be interested in this, even just passing them off some resources. Like it was important for me to frame how to eat, to change how you drink, not as a sobriety book, like a full sobriety book, because that can be really scary for people, right? Just the idea of saying like, okay, well, maybe I want to make some changes to this rather than the full like black and white of I'm a drinker or I am not a drinker. And so, yeah, it's such a tricky thing. It really, really is, but it's, it is so possible to change that. And it, it just takes a little bit of patience and, um, thoughtfulness in staying connected and keeping ourselves as kind of the number one person around that and allowing it to radiate outward. Yeah. I think that's a great point because, you know, I I think the first time I took a break from drinking was like maybe five years ago now. And it was about, um, I think like three or six months, something like that. It was so long ago. And five years ago, there were a lot of those questions about like, oh, why? Like, why aren't you drinking? What's good? And 
I will say in the last couple years when I did take that full year off and, and when, you know, and then I took another six months off, I was like, can I drink what's, and I, I didn't feel good. I didn't like it. So I didn't drink again. So I didn't get any of these questions as much about like, well, why it actually, I found for the most part in my circle, it made people kind of be like, huh, maybe I should look at the way I'm drinking, (laughs) which was actually Mm -hmm. kind of like, I found it was much Mm -hmm. more supportive in the last couple of years. And maybe that is, as you mentioned, because of the pandemic and because of, um, I think people have been drinking more and heavier than ever before, especially, you know, in the 2020 to 2022 time when people were really home. Um, but I found, it, it, it made a lot of people in my environment be like, huh, maybe I should take a break or maybe I can join you or even, you know, family members and people were like, oh, like now somebody else isn't drinking. So I feel safer not to drink. It was actually like much less um, than it had been in like 2018 when I started kind of exploring sober curiosity. I felt like it was way less. I, I It just wasn't as common that, you know, but now I find it to be much more supportive. But, you know, something I think that's interesting and, and I think still comes up is and, and, and there's a question attached to this, but I want to know your thoughts as well. There's um like these words, right? I think there's a lot of shame sometimes too with like looking at our drinking habits um, mm-hmm. and especially because of words. And, and Ali and I talk a lot about this in the context of wellness, like language is so important, right? Because even when we talk about clean foods, well, then what's a dirty food, right? Or like, like mm-hmm. there's all this language that can really, I think, make people feel badly about themselves. Um, and I think addiction um, you know, problem, like all of these words, even if they're true, might do more harm than help. And so, and I, and I think that shame culture then could mm-hmm. make people drink even more, right? Because we do. And I, I'd love for you to talk about, is it like the dopamine and the GABA? Like we actually get uh, like serotonin hits when we drink, right? Something it, it impacts our, so I just, I'm just, I, maybe I'm just talking, but I think there must be a correlation between the shame of like addiction and then drinking more, you know, when like people can be addicted to food or shopping or um, sugar, right? Like there's so many addictions out there that I don't feel like are as polarized as the shame of the addiction to drinking, you know, just that shame component. And then the correlation of the dopamine or serotonin or GABA, whatever it may be that we're hitting when we do drink. Yeah. We're affecting all of the neurotransmitters when we drink, but even the thought of a drink triggers dopamine. Wow. So there's a really great book from a few years ago called Dopamine Nation. Dr. Anna Lemke wrote it and fascinating research on dopamine, but when we anticipate a drink, it gives us a little surge of dopamine. And actually after that dopamine drops below the baseline. So that increases the intensity of a des- the desire or craving for alcohol. But there's also a big piece that's connected to our blood sugar, which is what I talk about in the book. And that's where food can be really helpful, like increasing protein, not skipping meals, having snacks in the afternoon, all of that helps with alcohol cravings. So that's an important factor in the book. But You're right. There's for so long been stigma around addiction. And also by nature, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous was anonymous and, and still has like 
rules, for lack of a better word, around anonymity. And so part of that contributed, I think, to this nature of secrecy or privacy around it. And it's it's just more recently that now people are standing up and saying, you know, coming forth and saying, I had a problem or or I experienced this as well. And one of the things in like within the first couple pages of my book is is we're not going to use the word alcoholic. We're not going to use the word addiction. We're not going to talk to you in this book. We're not going to talk about if you're an alcoholic or not, or if you had a problem or not. That is irrelevant, right? In my eyes, that is irrelevant because a diagnosable like alcoholism or alcohol use disorder, which is what they call it now, or it is kind of diagnosed as is um, a lot of times it's self-diagnosed, right? So you get to decide (laughs) for the most part um, if you feel like you would identify as an alcoholic or not. Um, You might ask one person that might say yes, another person might say no, right? So in a lot of ways, it's irrelevant. Um, The important part of this is if you do not like the way that alcohol is affecting your life, if you don't like how you feel from alcohol, if you are unhappy with your life and alcohol is a big part of it, you get to decide if you want that to be a part of your life or not. And that's really empowering, right? Like there's this this choice around it that is really empowering. And for me, and I'm someone who would identify at the end, I had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And that's how I like to classify it. Would I be a diagnosable alcoholic at that time? Sure. I was drinking every single day, but that doesn't mean that you have to be drinking every single day to say this is affecting my life negatively. So I really look at it as a superpower to be able to say this is something that basically is saturating the world that we are really run. A a lot of our society is, is dictated by this substance. And I'm going to make a decision to not drink it. So I think it's badass. I think it's really cool. And there is only shame if we carry the shame around it. And so, yes, um, many years ago, I think there was more shame. But in like as we progress more and more into this sober, sober, curious culture, it is it is cool now to to quit drinking. Like it is a really really cool thing to do, rather than you being the odd man out. And I I know for a fact that if you take a dry January, you take some time off, and you and someone asks you about it, and you're honest and truthful and say, yeah, you know, it doesn't make me feel good. I'm trying life without it. Most people are going to be curious about that. They're not going to say that's weird. Why are you doing that? Maybe five years ago, people would say that. Now people are saying, you know, I'm actually interested in doing that. You know, what inspired you or how are you feeling? How do I get started? That's the kind of response that you're going to get today. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it's, it's just also, there's so many, if, if this works for people listening and it, it does work for me from time to time, there are so many wonderful alternatives, like the mocktails of the past were all full of sugar. Um, but now they're like botanical and craft and, um, they're really delicious and wonderful and they have adaptogens and even, Mm -hmm. um, in my journey, and I know not everyone can do this, but I had like non-alcoholic beer tastes exactly 
exactly like beer. It's it's so easy to participate in socializing now that you really don't. It's it used to just be like a fruit juice or a diet coke, you know. Which um, you know, I love a diet coke with lemon at a party too. Don't get me wrong, but it's uh, it's there's a lot of options now, which is so so great, and I love um that your community is inclusive, right? Because I think even for someone like me in the beginning, and I will say that I wouldn't do it again alone without community because that year I took off. I mean, I'm so proud of myself for going like a full year. Yes, um, yes, you drinking. should be. It's a hard thing. Well, and it it changed, like I said, like it changed my life in so many ways that, you know, I still have the impact of. And and like I said, I'm I'm on my journey, but um, in the sense of, you know, I, I, tried to drink again. I was like, can I drink? And it was like, nope, like this doesn't feel good. And it's been a, it's, it's been a, a like, you know, cause I felt so good that year, mm-hmm. but I, I agree with you that, you know, that year I didn't read the quitlet. I didn't, you know, I, I, I absorbed podcasts and I absorbed content creators, but I kind of did it on my own. And, mm-hmm. um, it was way more fun, you know, after I had that, like, experimental. It was like my brother got engaged and I was like, oh, I'm going to drink for the first time in a year. It didn't go so well. Do not recommend that. Um, But then I was like, okay, let's read some Quitlet. Let's like Mm -hmm. actually like find community. And like you said, I think what's great about your community is it's inclusive because, you know, like AA is so one way, right? You enter and you're like, and, and and it's great. Like I know people who are involved in AA and it is life-changing. So I'm not, I know AA can get a bad rap and I'm not knocking it at all because I know it can really save and change lives. Um, and if you don't identify as an alcoholic, which I, I don't, it, it's not a community for me. And so I think mm-hmm. having a community where you can be sober and sober curious and exploring your relationship with alcohol, um, it's important to have that, that space. So I just thank you for creating one and having one where anybody is welcome and can join. Yeah. And it's, it, it's important to have those communities because if we don't, if we don't open it up to this gray area space that we call it, we're going to, we're, we're missing an opportunity to, to reach people before they're hitting a rock bottom. Right. And AA is amazing. Very grateful for all of the work that AA has done in, in our, in our world. Right. Because they really, they really have an amazing program. It is free for all. It is available everywhere you go in every continent, in every country, all, you know, all hours of the day. And it is a, it is a huge, hugely beneficial program for so many. But like you said, it's not the place for everyone. And and even for people who maybe do have a, a true addiction, there's still people that don't identify with that as their the approach too. So it's just like you could walk into one AA room and feel really welcome and walk into another one and it's just not your cup of tea, right? So it's even like the places that you go to. So, um, but it's really important that we have, that this conversation is is open for all people and open for anyone who's interested in it. And I actually find that there's a lot of benefit for everyone when the conversation is really rich in that discussion of exactly like you said, like questioning going back, right? And then being around people who are still really struggling to maybe get to that place that year or that couple of months of of not drinking. And then, and, and that struggle reminds us 
of, of how hard it is if we go and we try that again. So it, everyone helps each other and it doesn't need to be, you know, all black and white. And I think that one of the most important things about these groups and AA included is that it's just people having really vulnerable conversations and saying, that really sucked. I really wanted to drink. I didn't drink. I survived it without a drink. I'm learning new coping mechanisms. And, and that's what it's really about. It's about, it's about the outcome. And it doesn't really matter where you get the information from as long as you're receiving that information and it's helping you along your journey. What's your astrological sign? I'm an Aquarius. So important thing to talk about the book launches on a full moon. Wow. That's so exciting. Oh my god! I don't know what the full moon is in. So maybe we need to tap into your It'll wisdom be there in to cancer. It'll be in cancer. Cause if it it's uh, being released at the end of December, December, which is Capricorn season. So the full moon is always in the opposite sign. So it's that like cancer nurturing mama energy with the Capricorn, like mm. daddy Saturn energy. It's mom and dad. It's got Capricorn. mommy, daddy energy, which is funny because it is my child and I am the mother and the father of it. Yes. So do you know your moon sign and your rising sign or just your sun sign? I am an Aquarius sun. I am a Leo moon and a Scorpio rising. Wow. Very cool. I'm an Aquarius moon. So I love an Aquarius. I'm emotionally Aquarius. And I, I just love an Aquarius so much. <laughs> I always want to know more about this. All when I know is that someone recently told me I'm three fixed signs. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Aquarius my... and Leo are the sister signs. So you have that duality. Which is also funny because my sister is a Leo. Wow. My actual sister. When, Look at all this. When you come <laughs> to Los Angeles, I'm going to keep this in. When you come to Los Angeles, I'm going to like do your whole chart for you. I swear. Like, I love this. I, Please. I, it's my it's my party trick and it's my favorite thing to do. So yes, when you're in LA, I'm going to like really go through it with you. But it makes sense to even Scorpio's just finished um, the North and South node of karmic destiny and change. We're in Scorpio and Taurus for the last 18 months. So it's been a time of big transformation for people with Scorpio placements, especially and the fixed signs and you're all fixed. So, um, so this all yes. makes sense of, of why this is happening in my life at this time. Yes, basically <laughs> it's a good, it's all good timing astrologically, but, um, as we, we digress, begin, as we digress, as we begin to wrap up, we always conclude with three questions. And the first of those questions, and I'm so curious for you too, especially how it relates to your sobriety is what is your self-care practice and what are some of your self-care non-negotiables? Yeah, that's such a great question. I am a self-improvement junkie for better or for worse. Um, so I am, I'm kind of always playing around with new things and exploring, you know, especially being in, involved in this space and having the opportunity to live in New York City and be around so many amazing, you know, types of people and opportunities and spaces. Um but I self-care for me is a daily practice. I am really big into meditation and exercise meditation every single day as much as I can in the mornings. Um, I typically meditate and do some prayer um, before even I get out of bed and 
Uh, I'm a Peloton person these days, which is, I'm really loving and, um, and exercise has always been a big part of my journey, even when I was drinking, uh, but uh, even more so in the post post drinking era. And I'm also a huge bath person. Like I take a bath almost every single day at the end of the day. It is like my cap to the end of the day. And it like closes my book, which is important because I used to do that with wine. It used to be like, as soon as the laptop closes, it's the glass of wine. So now it's the bath. So that's another important thing when it comes to sobriety is like self-care is how we fill that space, how we fill the time that we used to use drinking. Like we now have hours back in our day typically, or in our weeks and, and we can fill that with self-care and that's what helps us with the coping too. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm a big bath person too. And Mm -hmm. baths and tea, like I became such a, like, Mm -hmm. like ending the day. I drink so much tea now and it's like my Mm -hmm. favorite rich. It's like the ritual switch was um, really helpful. Yeah. Love it. Um, the second question we ask everybody, and I'm sure you answered this a while back, but what does being courageous mean to you? Mm. I'm going to like pause on that question for a moment because this journey of sobriety and this journey of writing this book have been two of the most courageous things that I've had the op- opportunity of doing in my life to make me tear up. Um, I believe that being courageous is standing in our truth, not being afraid of what that means for us or the people around us, but trusting and knowing um, those feelings and and going with them no matter what that looks like or no matter who that impacts. Um, mm, like sobriety is the biggest act of, of courage, I think, that you can take. Absolutely. Thank you. And the last question is, um, besides or including your own, do you have any book recommendations that you would like to share with our audience? And I know we've talked about some throughout this conversation as well, but are there any books that have been impactful for you along your journey on any topic too? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big book nerd. I love reading. I have loved reading ever since I was young and I'm a big Um, personal development is what I call them, not self-help books, because I think self-help is such a negative name. So personal development books, big time fan. Um, Of course, there's this amazing book. It's called How to Eat to Change How You Drink. And it's (laughs) a little plug there. The the Quitlet genre is amazing. Um, You know, books like Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington and Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whittaker are two of the kind of key staples of that category and are are really amazing books if you're getting started as well. I have a, a good friend, Tawny Lara, who recently wrote a book called Dry Humping, and it is about sex, dating, and relationships in sobriety or without alcohol. And so that's a really important addition to this category because that's a huge topic that people are are challenged with. And, um, you know, some of the other books like Atomic Habits are like, you know, kind of other key ones that are so helpful in times, like especially changing your drinking and developing new habits and things like that. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if anyone wants to buy your book, find you, follow you, work with you, be a part of this community, where can they do that? Yeah. So How to Eat to Change How You Drink is available wherever books are sold. So anywhere you'd like to get your books, whether that's Amazon or Barnes and Noble or um, 
anywhere else, your local bookstore, if you're one of those independent bookstore kind of people. You can also find my book or more information about the book at functionalsobriety.com, which is also where you can find out about my online programs, my online network, working with me. And my, I'm most active on Instagram. I'm not a TikToker, but you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Dr. Brooke Scheller. And yeah, lots of tips and tricks and things like that around drinking and wellness and the intersect of the two. So that's mostly where you can find me these days. You might see more TikToks coming. I recently hired a Gen Z social media helper. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the Gen have, Zs know. <laughs> yeah, no, we do. We 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 work with Gen Z interns as well, and it's life changing. So it really yes. is. I mean, they do things in like half the time. I just can't. I can't figure it out. Yeah. Thank you so much, Doctor Brooke, for joining us. This was such a pleasure, and yeah, I can't wait to get and read your book. We're so excited. Thank you for having me back. I'm so excited to meet you and see you soon in LA too. Yes. So fun. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.